The last couple of years have been full of surprises for investors. Very few people predicted the presidency of Donald Trump, Brexit, the rise and fall of Bitcoin, or the start of a trade war between the world's two largest economies. While some investors did correctly anticipate the market rally of 2017, few foresaw the swoon in 2018 that saw the Hang Seng Index drop 22% from its January high into a bear market. And the spectacular collapse of some of the former market darlings in the tech sector. Not a single analyst had a sell recommendation on Tencent at the beginning of last year. However, it subsequently went on to tumble 47% during 2018. Likewise, few predicted Apple rising to become a trillion-dollar company and then giving up all of its gains for the year. So, what could come out of left field in 2019 in the world of finance, economics, and politics that could shock investors? I went to see Tariq Denison, portfolio manager at GFM Asset Management, and asked him to gaze into his crystal ball. Good morning, Tariq. Good morning, Peter. So, there's a few things out there that are already on the horizon, but are there any events that maybe? People are just not realizing the severity of that could become a bit of a shock next year. Well, absolutely. One thing about markets is that they do tend to surprise us. If we already knew what to expect, there wouldn't be any volatility in the markets. So,、uh, I would actually start by talking about the surprises in the past and the present that many people don't know about. If you want to look at what were the surprises in 2018 that people didn't know, the best performing markets were Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and Israel. And I'd be surprised how many people listening to, the, to this actually knew that. Now, in terms of upcoming surprises, I would look at, for example,、uh, the exploding levels of debt in China and whether those are sustainable or whether you're going to see. Deleveraging or some kind of credit crisis、uh, in China. I would also look for surprises in、uh, some assets that have been out of favor for a while to suddenly surprise us with outperformance.、Uh, for example, Hong Kong listed and Russia listed stocks and stocks in the pharmaceutical and telecom sector. For example. So on the debt situation in China, I mean, this is something that's been on the radar for a while. Various people have been predicting that this is going to cause a big crisis and a big financial upheaval in China. So far, that hasn't really happened, has it? China has managed to get through with these very, very high levels of debt, a bit like、uh, Japan has. But do you think that that could change next year, and this could really become the next crisis? Well, my view is that it's going to be a lot less dramatic than the、uh, gloom and doomers would hope, or than a lot of us would fear. I mean, I think China has a lot of things under control, and I think a Japan-style scenario where you have a lot of slow and painful deleveraging and a lot of slower growth or pain spread out in different areas is far more likely.、Uh, I mean, that's just overall. I'm not a boom, doom, and gloomer. Now, that said, that means that I am very cautious about avoiding Chinese property developers or any sectors of the Chinese economy that have a lot of debt. That's just purely from an investment point of view, and I think that's. And what about the economy in China? People, the majority of analysts and economists, have been predicting a slowdown. Are they underestimating possibly just how much the Chinese economy could slow down? Could that be a surprise? It could be a surprise, but I actually think there's a lot of room for growth in China that is still relatively healthy. And the other thing is that the that growth there could look different than what we're used to. Now, when we talk about six percent growth in China, that's slow for them, but it's great for any anyone else. If China really went down to five or six percent, is that really so terrible?、Um, now, also in terms of what types of growth, I think China is going to continue to see developments in artificial intelligence, in other forms of productivity technology that will move it up the value chain. 
chain. And it may mean some of the areas where we've traditionally seen China strong, low-end manufacturing, may move to other countries like Vietnam. That's what we've already expected so far. And I think the parts that are going to surprise us are going to be the little ones that appear on page six, not the big ones that appear on page one. So no major surprises then on the mainland. But what about here in Hong Kong? Could there be some surprises here? Oh, of course. Well, even on the mainland, I'm not saying that there won't be surprises. I'm just admitting fully honestly that I don't know what they're going to be. Um, I think the biggest thing in Hong Kong, you were mentioning earlier that no one had expected Tencent would suddenly correct. Well, I can tell you I did not short Tencent stock, but I certainly didn't own it. And that was just purely from a point of view of what was sensible um, what was sensible at any point in time. Now, in terms of what would be, uh, what would be a surprise, surprise here in Hong Kong, Again, if I knew what it would be, I'd be guessing it, but I, I, don't like to, I don't like to make forecasts. What I do believe, though, is I do believe Hong Kong-listed companies or Hong Kong-based companies, many of them can outperform their developed market counterparts just purely based on valuation. And you've mentioned the tech stocks there, like Tencent. We've seen in recent months quite a big correction in tech stocks, also in the U.S. now as well. Apple has given up its gains for the year. It became a trillion-dollar company in 2018 and then lost it again uh, within a couple of months. Do you think the party's over for tech stocks? Well, it's not that the party's over. I think that they're just coming back to earth. I mean, if you look even at the price of Amazon recently, Amazon could fall another 30% and it would still look expensive. Um, I just posted on Facebook recently that Facebook uh, now looks like a value stock. And whoever would have thought a few years ago that any of us would have said that. I don't think that's an upset. I don't think that's a, you know, that's a pain or a slump. It's just the idea of prices moving back to rational levels. And that's what we see at, at different points in cycles. You'll be surprised if you get your Facebook account closed for saying that. Oh. <laughs> now, what about on the political front? We had a few political shocks, didn't we, over the last couple of years? We've had Brexit. Um, we've had the election of President Trump. Some of these are still rumbling on. Brexit, obviously, is going to come to a big uh, climax fairly soon. Very hard to predict, isn't it, political shocks? But anything that potentially worries you on the horizon? Well, that's what makes political shocks political shocks. I mean, uh, I tend to follow emerging markets a lot. Uh, obviously, the two that I think have been the biggest worries this year have been Turkey and Argentina. Um, again, some of these came out of the blue. I don't think any, anyone expected anything to erupt in Egypt before it did. Everyone thought things, things were so stable there. Uh, now, it depends when you're talking about changes in politics, or is it going to come in the developed world? Is it going to come in a part of the world that, uh, that no one's watching? Um, I think there is going to be a lot of eyes on the U.S. in 2020. That's going to be obviously a year, a year after 2019. Um, I don't think, on the other hand, the U.K. is going to be quite as relevant what happens there as, uh, as many may have thought two years ago when the uh, Brexit referendum was uh, announced. And what about here in Hong Kong? I mean, politics is normally a little bit boring here in Hong Kong, isn't it? But it's been heating up recently because there'd be some shocks there. And maybe Hong Kong gets more dragged into the, the trade war, as Donald Trump has been threatening. Well, I don't really talk about Hong Kong politics because I often say uh, Hong Kong is the iPhone of political systems. You can't uh, install anything outside the App Store, but things work pretty well. Um, now, in terms of impact of trade, well, Hong Kong is a trading city. Uh, I wrote before the election of Donald Trump that I thought Hong Kong would be the most harmed by uh, a trade war or the election of Donald Trump. And it so happened that the Hang Seng outperformed the S&P the year, the year after Trump's election. So I could be wrong, I could be wrong about things like that. Uh, now, moving forward, okay, what else, uh, what else does Hong Kong have? I think Hong Kong is 
bigger abilities having to do with its competitiveness, with its position in Asia, and whether more and more countries are going to be trading directly with Shanghai and Xiamen rather than having to use a port of uh, using Hong Kong's port. Hong Kong has a real identity question of what its place in the Asian economy, in the regional economy, is going to be going forward. And that's not a new surprise for 2019. And we're going to see a lot of debate, presumably, about the Greater Bay Area and Hong Kong's place in, in that as well. Well, I don't know if that's so much a debate. I think, actually, the Greater Bay Area is one of the greater things coming for Hong Kong because this is an area with an economy, uh, with a population larger than California, an economy roughly the size of California, and a growth rate probably twice as fast as that of California. So it's a, it's a really well-integrated and interesting place, and China gets the arbitrage of one country and two systems. We get you know, an English-based basic law system here in Hong Kong when we want to use that and a different currency, and we have the mainland system up north of the border when we want to use that. I've often said uh, the U.S. might wish that we had a San Francisco SAR or a New York SAR to be able to have that kind of safety valve and that kind of arbitrage between two systems. And finally, you can't talk about Hong Kong without talking about property. Any potential shocks that you see there? Well, um, I've actually been relatively muted on Hong Kong property simply because I believe a lot of safety valves are there in place. The fact that down payment requirements are already so high and there are so many stops the HKMA could remove if it ever needed to um, to calm a uh, crash in the property market. I don't necessarily think Hong Kong property prices are going to crash, but I don't think that we're going to see the... Um, the rates of appreciation over and above the rates of uh, uh, wage increases as we've seen in the past few years. That was Tariq Dennison of GFM Asset Management. That's it for this week. Throughout 2019, we plan to give you advice on planning your finances better, dealing with the financial consequences of lifestyle changes, and help you to become a smarter investor and entrepreneur. So please do join Jimmy Lamb and me every Saturday morning from 8.30. In the meantime, from me, Peter Lewis, have a great week. <laughs>